every now and again, I'll be listening. And I'll go, man, this French song that Jade that Jade chose is amazing. It is such a good song. It's very you. But I have nothing to do with it. Like, I, I want to lie to people like I had something to do with it, but I have nothing to do with it. Just just act like it's you. Act like it's cool. Act like <laughs> you picked it out. Act like your wife picked it out. Oh, yeah. I have very refined tastes musically, and uh, it expresses my soul. And uh, that's important, you know, when you have a subscription service. How are you doing? How is the famously uh, gridlocked Motor City you okay? It's, it's got to be a lot of time you spend in the car every day, you know? You're just used to it by now? It actually is. If you if you live outside the city and you have to go in and out, ah. like I am no longer a city resident. So mm. there's that. One day when you come back to Detroit, Ethan, I will take you on a full <laughs> tour, okay? <laughs> Welcome to the House of Strauss. Yeah, go for it. Stars hang with stars, winners hang with winners. It is House of Strauss. I am joined by the great Vincent Goodwill. You know, we don't call him Vinny here. He's Vincent now of Yahoo Sports, NBA writer. How are you? I know you were late because uh, it's that famous Detroit traffic. What can we, we can't blame you for that. That's the thing that that city's famous for. Better that than CP time, right? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I suppose so. Uh, but yes, uh, I mean, look, I, I, it's plausible. I don't know what happens. Back in the day, a long time ago, Vinny, when I covered the NBA, I didn't even go into the center of the city of Detroit. I was out there at that, whatever that weird hotel is out, you know, wherever the palace is. And yes. that's all I would know of the state of Michigan. That's wait. That was the only time you've ever been to Michigan is like for that. I guess that makes sense. It, wh- why, else would, why else would you go? Why else would you go? I get it. I get it. <laughs> Is there a convention that I'm supposed to go to? I mean, I know they had the Super Bowl there once. I mean, uh, I mean, it's no offense to Michigan. I don't, I don't randomly find myself in other Midwestern states either. No, I mean, look, it's a, it's an acquired taste, and if you have Bay Area sensibilities, like I get, mm. look, I'm not just getting on you. I get on the Bay Area elite. I consider you Bay Area elite, Marcus Thompson, Mark Spears. Ah, yes. There's like a Mount Rushmore of Bay Area elite media members. Mm. Maybe Kawakami, but he's naturally cranky. Like, I would mm. never try to turn him on to Detroit. I feel like I could convert <laughs> you and Marcus. I think so. I, 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 I believe so. And kind of in a hipster way, it would really appeal to us that, you know, a lot of the buzz you hear about Detroit that, you know, like all the chefs are going from New York to Detroit, you know? Like, I, I hear those rumors. I hear about it. But... Okay, well, let's start right here because I kind of envision this podcast a little bit of uh, behind the media scenes and, you know, maybe a little bit like uh, back in the day, Mark Maron would talk to comedians about what what it was like to be a comedian. I have a memory in my head of when the Warriors were at their height of Warriorsness and they came through to Detroit. And at that point, you had moved on from covering the Pistons and you were covering the Bulls. And you in that palace stadium were the guy. That's what I remember. I remember it was just key to the city. 
just everybody so happy to see you just uh you know do we say man about town i don't even know what we would i don't even know how, how we really you know say big man on campus that's what there you, we go. you were big man on campus right there and i had this thought when i saw that i thought how did this happen how was this achieved you know was you know there what it a was? moment that did it no you know what it is it would be like if you walked back into oracle right now Seriously, it, when they don't see you for a while, when they know that you've gone on to do different things and they come back, like I, I, I said it to someone actually last night, I felt like I grew up in that building in some weird yeah. way. You know what I mean? When you so start doing Oracle, you're, you're like in your early 20s, yeah. your hairline is at a premium space. You know what I mean? Like it's it, when you're black and your hairline is, is preserved, like that is the that is the prime of your life. Not the money, it's the hairline, right? So <laughs> you feel like that you grew up in a building. And I think the night that you saw me, it was Benoit's jersey retirement. Dude, you know, how do you even remember that? How do you, that's true. You know why that's I remember true. that? This is how I remember that. Because I was in town the night before and I was talking to some people and we were talking about a soon-to-be free agent that summer. Ah. And I said to him, he's not going to Golden State, is he? And the person mm -hmm. looked me dead in the face and said, how much you want to bet? They're the leaders in the clubhouse. And that was like in January or whatever. And Golden State's about yeah. to win 73 games. I'm like, there's no way Kevin Durant's going to Golden State. And I was told that night by someone reasonably close enough proximity to that. Yeah. It's like, bullshit. It turned out to be true. So you go there that night. And it's like a college kid coming back home. That's what it felt like. A college kid coming back to like the old neighborhood. People seeing you. Oh, Vinny, it's so good to see you. Da, 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 da. That's what I think that's what you saw. Yeah. You saw a college kid so, coming home. So I think Jalen Rose seemed really happy to see you. Um, you know, was any sort of see me. Any former Piston was happy to see you. I have weird, clear memories. It, it's funny when you're a beat writer, you forget a lot, but then there are just these rant. Like I remember a lot from that evening. I remember almost nothing about the game, but I just have weird memories of being outside the arena at night and being colder than I had ever been in my entire life in, in the history of it. It was cold uh, that no, night. It was cold. No leg warmers. Um, and like I've got weird media meal recollection, just just random stuff. Um, God, I remember. I mean, now I'm just now, now I'm You're going like back Grandpa down Simpson. memory lane right now, man. I remember Andre messing with me, but I cannot really talk about the way in which, um, especially now that he's the new uh, union, you know, union head, which, you know, maybe that's a topic. I don't know. That's, it's interesting. Um, anyway, anywho, well, here's what I want to know because, um, people have to come out of the crowd to become a national guy in the way that you've become. And you sort of feel like when you see people in that position, they just arrive, but something had to happen. I remember Ramona Shelburne once told me a story about what minted her, you know, around the Lakers scene. And I'm not going to repeat it. It's not for me to tell, but it was one of these things where um, it's just, whoa, it's like one day, you know, one interaction just changes your career and you make it out of that crowd. And so I'm wondering, how did you emerge from the scene in Detroit to where you are right now? That's a great question. And I don't know if I had this aha moment. 
You know what I mean? Like a lot of people, either you break news like a Wolge or Shams and then you turn yourself or like a Chris Haynes. You know what I mean? Like Chris did that and he covered some really good teams and covered LeBron and then covered Golden State. So that kind of, you know what I'm saying, elevated him. I feel like there's a saying, like some player, there's a player, um, this is how I can compare it. Uh, Will Bynum, I feel like he had a stint in Golden State. Remember Will Bynum? Short short point I mean, guard. I remember, remember Will Bynum. Georgia Tech was he out of? I'm trying yes. to even remember. Played with Jared Jack. Will Bynum. So he's 5'10". And Will Bynum one day, I was covering the Pistons, Will Bynum, we were asking him about like the difference between him and Brandon Knight out of Kentucky. And Brandon Knight was like the fifth pick in the draft or something like that. And Will Bynum wasn't drafted, they had the scratch and claw. And he said, some people come through the front door. I came mm. through the roof. I feel like <laughs> I came through the roof. You know what I mean? Really? I, I, I really do. I feel like I wasn't, because my, my path is not a path that I can say anybody else could naturally, you know what I'm saying, fall behind. Like I left no. Detroit, went to Chicago, covered those we, Bulls teams. We can't teams. give any, I don't want to interrupt, but we can't give anybody any advice. I keep saying it's like, no. somebody asked me, where's the ladder to do what you, whatever it is you do? I go, it, not, it used to be that the ladder was torched and now it's like the entire place that it went to is gone so i but yes continue no no that's funny yeah because people would say talk about uh will bond and Stephen a and they'd be like well how can someone get there and i'm like yeah big city columnist became tv personality became tv show host now you can't say big city columnist has the same gravitas that it used to you don't nor no. does beat writer hold the same gravitas uh, as far as being able to get to a certain place like there it, it changes so quickly it's like the nba changes every literally every 18 months the industry changes damn near yeah. 18 months so it would be hard for me like i feel like i was really like right place right time sort of thing mm. and i'll tell you okay well if you're you know not gonna mean? give me an honest answer i'll tell you what happened okay. in your career you know okay because maybe I have, maybe it's like uh, the fish doesn't know it's in water. You're too close to it to really see it. Okay. Um, I think the contentious but cordial dynamic you have with Stan Van Gundy when he was coaching slash presidenting the Pistons was what put you on my radar and was interesting. So that's what I recall. That's interesting because I remember, that's what I remember about I don't think it was that day. It was the year before. Yeah. And I was still in Detroit covering the Pistons. And Stan, people may not remember, Stan was a candidate to coach Golden State, the job that eventually went to Steve Kerr. And the Pistons were having a terrible season, and Golden State had started off, like, really, really hot. And nobody thought Golden State was going to be, like, this championship dynastic team. They were just a really good team that sort of that caught fire in the beginning of the season. So you're naturally asking the coach, Hey, that team over there across the hallway, <laughs> got any regrets? <laughs> Do you wish you had taken that job as opposed to being the guy over in, in this quote-unquote kingdom? And I kind of asked them maybe like three questions is more than the usual question than follow-up or whatever. I, I won't say I hammered them, but I was very curious. Yeah. And I think people noticed that, but I didn't think that was some aha moment. I just thought that was a natural thing to ask. As I viewed it different. Um, the way I saw it is Stan Van Gundy at that time had such a high status within basketball, especially among a lot of the media, in part because he 
was just really good with media and he was very generous with his time. And I remember when he went to the Sloan conference, he was kind of a, a god to the nerds. And I also think that magic team was viewed as very much on the cutting edge. Yeah. And there wasn't much skepticism when he took over that role and was not only the coach, but also effectively the GM. There wasn't much skepticism. There wasn't much in the way of, is this a good idea? And it started, I think, early on not to work. And you weren't killing him. You weren't killing the situation, but you were being honest about, hey, this guy, you know, he, he didn't, you know, descend from on high. You know, he is fallible. He is making decisions that are at least worthy of me asking him, why did you do that? And so that's what I noticed and what I took from it. And I thought, well, you know, this Vinny guy is, this guy is honest. He's not just, he's not just a homer and he's trying to set a standard right here. Yes, I, I can, I guess from like the micro macro thing, you know what I mean? That makes a lot of sense. I didn't necessarily think of it that way. Like me and coaches in Detroit had a contentious relationship like, because they weren't very good, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> That's a problem. So when I look, yeah. I'm gonna run you. I'm gonna run by you the coaches I've covered l from Detroit to Chicago, and you tell me the best coach amongst the group. I'm gonna I'm gonna okay. run them by you. All right, you ready? Yeah. John Kuster, <laughs> Maurice Cheeks, Lawrence Frank, John Lawyer, Stan Van Gundy. Tom Thibodeau, Fred Hoiberg, and uh, what's Sarge's name? Jim Boylan. I'll call him Norman I mean, Dale. Jim Boylan, Norman Dale. I call. It's the, it's uh it's not a murderer's row. Thibodeau remains, but I would think that covering him, it would not be a fun. That would not be a fun cover with how toxic it all got back there with the Bulls. Um. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not. Uh, I remember Baron Davis used to talk about that. He would say, you know, people criticize me and say that I should have been this or I should have been that. But look at my owners, you know, look at <laughs> look at what I've got. <laughs> the worst owners in the league. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I just I, I felt like SVG took it in good humor and, you know, I remember he would say stuff like Vinny thinks he should be coaching the team. I remember that one. He did say that. He, he, <laughs> he definitely, he said that. He said something else. Like I had questioned him about, I think it was Josh Smith. They released Josh Smith on like December 22nd or something. And it was just out of nowhere. Like you never saw a team release like its highest paid player like mm. that early, like 23 games into the season. So I asked him, like he came out and said, hey, this is a decision that we've been mulling about for three weeks. So I asked him, well, if you've been thinking about this for three weeks and you've been losing games this whole time, why did you give him the kerosene to light your building on fire, essentially? <laughs> and he said to me, he said, you know what, that's a fair question. And you would ask that. You know what I, you know what I mean? But, but funny enough, Ethan, me and Stan are really, really good now. And when I left Detroit, me and Stan got really, really good. Like it I could call him way. and ask him. Like it was just weird. I could call him and ask yep. him things. He could call me and ask me, you know, different things or whatever. Like it was a weird, it was a I think he understood I wasn't coming from a bad place once there was some yeah. distance. 
it, it it's like that. It's weird too. I've had that with players where they come back, you're talking to them in the same setting where they hated you and you never had a conversation to make it right, but it's just different and the mm-hmm. energy is different and it's very in the moment. I mean, this is what I'm missing out on because you're on the NBA carousel right now and it just moves. Yes. It just goes. It's got a propulsive nature to it. And I'm off the carousel and I'm just sort of outside of it. Do you miss it? And you know, it's funny. Um, I miss aspects of it, but I don't miss all that comes with it. Um, I got out in part because I also sensed it was changing Mm -hmm. and, you know, I got out around the time they were cutting back access, which I think that it seems from the outside, like a lot of the access has returned that they discovered that that wasn't really the thing to do. But I saw that happening. It just seemed like it was changing and I wanted to go do my own thing. But there are aspects I miss. I miss the energy. I miss the energy of a big game. Um, that, that sort of, you just don't get a lot of that in life. You don't get that sense. This is the sick part of me, but one of my favorite things I ever experienced and Lord forgive me, thunder fans, it was game six warriors thunder and also game seven for the warriors against the Cavs and they lost. There's something to being in a building where 20,000 people just experience this tragedy and it's so real and you're just watching everybody. I know I'm a sicko. I was watching the thunder cheerleaders cry. <laughs> like oh, I was watching no. it and I was going, this is amazing. I mean, this is just, you can't, you just can't get scenes in life like this outside of this. And it's very real. The pain is very real, but we also know that, this isn't actually real. This isn't real life. This isn't a beloved relative dying. Right. And yet there's just, there's just something to that thing. You know, it's easy to go with the joy. The joy is cool Mm -hmm. as well. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's, that's also cool when that, when that happens, but to be in that building and you almost feel like a little piece of history because that was the moment right there where Kevin Durant checked out and left the thunder. I mean, there was one more game to go, but that was, that was it right there. They were up seven late in the fourth and it went away and everything changed and you're there and you feel it and you experience it. But I just sensed that I would never get that again. I, I, I felt like I had had as good as you could get from those experiences and I didn't see that coming. And then the Warriors won the championship. So who knows? But yeah, it's a long answer to your question, but I I'm very sorry. I got a bit of a cough. I'm very happy I made the choice I made, but it would be crazy if I, I didn't miss certain aspects. Yeah, yeah. I think it's too. I miss the lead up before a big game. Like you're, it's funny. You're thinking about yeah. after. I'm thinking about they got a big game on Thursday. So you're at the Tuesday game and you're just trying to get like a feel for, okay, this is the last little bit of normalcy before whatever circus comes mm. in and you get to kind of, you get to kind of get the guys and talk to them a little bit without the extra pressure, but you get the feeling that they're focused on it just like you're fo- focused on it. And then the that big game, the day of the big game, like you can feel the anticipation in the arena. Even the morning, yeah. the first oh, yeah. shoot-around, you can like feel that the air is thick and all of that type of stuff. And I'll tell you like a quick funny story. I was in, I came back home to Detroit, like it was early June. Like I came back home to like, Hank was some friends or something. And we wanted to watch game six. So we went to a sports bar 
And man, I had the biggest FOMO of mm. Warriors Thunder. I'm just sitting there, palms, yeah. everything, like no rooting interest, nothing like that. And I remember when Clay hit the three to put them up. I feel like Iguodala stripped Russ or he stripped KD. Yeah. And Clay was on the right side, right in front of the Warriors bench and hit a three. And I turned to one of my best friends and I said, game over, series over. It's yeah. done. And I was like, damn, I wish I was there. I was I was courtside. That's the other thing that went away. That's yes. the other thing. That was, I mean, that's that's the thing. It's one of these things. Where if, you've, if you've eaten filet mignon, can you go back? Can you go? You can't go to Hamburger lesser? Helper. You can't no. go back to Hamburger Helper, man. No, and they, that's that's something that's that's gone by the wayside, and you don't get those seats. But to be there to experience it, I'm grateful for having been able to experience a lot of it and a lot of the memories. But you know, definitely don't miss being a beat writer. I, I mean, how do you feel about that? I feel like it gets lonely. You need to have a particular constitution. You need to be built like Anthony Slater, um, who he just seemed to like every city he ever went to. And I, I would, you know, talk to Anthony. I would just go, I need to learn something from this guy. I'm miserable. He's happy with everything. Uh, it's not... It's it's a lonely life. I feel like yes, the yes. way I would describe being a beat writer is I had so many memories, so many incredible memories that I really had nobody to share with, if that mm. makes sense. No, that, that's yeah. a perfect analogy. You asked me, do I miss it? I don't know if I miss the daily. It's weird. I miss the daily grind and then I don't. I miss mm. the familiarity that the grind brings you. The familiarity of not having to parachute in. Because yeah. if someone's having a bad day, that's a well, you know what I mean? But if, you, if you're if you familiar with a guy or you're familiar with a team, like, the okay, there's tomorrow. Okay, I had yesterday. Okay, that sort of thing. Like, the familiarity is there. Yeah, it gets, it's a weird thing. You're in one city one day, especially if, like, if you're in Detroit or Chicago, you're kind of centrally located, which means you're never in your own time zone all the time. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, you're usually somewhere else. So man, like I would say January. Well, it's a let's bit, talk about the let's January talk about the a bitch and then March is a bitch. <laughs> Let, let's try to make this, uh, you know, take people behind the curtain. Okay. So to what you're saying, the parachute in it's when you become a national guy, like you mm -hmm. became a national guy, the mandate changes and you're doing stories on the thing of the moment, and so you parachute into town, and now it's like the clock is ticking. You need to get you need to get something. You need to get this guy. You need to get that guy. I remember Shams uh, appeared at, at the Warriors practice, and he was supposed to interview Clay. And Clay, being Clay, just disappeared without telling anybody. Ritter is running around Warriors PR. Maestro Raymond Ritter. Shams is going. What the? I just flew here. My company just spent all this money. You know where is Clay? You said Clay would be there. Raymond's trying to. He's going. Oh, you know we can get you. Get you Sean Livingston. You know maybe get you Sean Livingston. And Shams is shaking his head and you know, no. And is it's that it's that pressure. It's that sense of I've been you know on the company's dime. And to what you're saying, at least as a beat writer. You don't you don't have that on you, this feeling of, I don't know, almost like being a spy who has a job to being a hitman. It's like you're a hitman. Yes, yes. You you have arrived in this country, you've got to take out this leader, and you've got to just do it efficiently. It's a different mentality. 
I mean, given the state of world affairs, I'm going to leave the hitman analogy alone. I mean, <laughs> people understand. But yes, I mean, this. I don't, there's I mean, no they, they HR, know what they're getting with there's you. There's no HR at House of Strauss LLC. There's no Slack channel. You know, we can. Oh, we, we, oh, we oh can no, go there. there is we, HR. She's probably in the another room for you. Don't don't uh, you don't you there <laughs> don't you dare do that if she runs in there. She, do, she doesn't care what happens here. It's 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 it's, it's, a, it's a very forgiving HR department. Um, yeah, it's a different, it's a, it's a different job and you got a Bigfoot people and this is the stuff too, where it was always a very, um, I don't know if I'd call it a sharp elbowed environment, but it's this weird thing in the media scene where we're all friendly and jocular, but we're competing too. And it's a weird thing to negotiate that, that sort of thing. I remember Lee Jenkins was parachuting in, mm. um, some people might not know now because he's been with the Clippers for so long, but he was the profile guy for Sports Illustrated. And I was young and naive. So at a practice, I'm just going, hey, you know, like, what are you writing on? Like, what are you writing? And he's hemming and hawing and Marcus Thompson pulls me aside and he goes, dude, you, you're not you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> you're not supposed to <laughs> You're Marcus, pulled, Marcus pulled you. Mar, look, Marcus pulled you aside. At least, at least you got some game from Marcus on that one. Oh, I learned everything I knew from Marcus and Tim Kawakami uh, because I didn't, I didn't come up in any tradition. You know, right, everybody right. before that had like come up through high school football reporting, yeah, and yeah. you know, then that all went away. So I came in, came really in not roof. knowing anything. You came, I into came the roof. in through the roof, and I didn't know anything. And I would do stuff like take a picture of the plays on the whiteboard on my phone. You know, I would do stuff like that because I just didn't, I didn't know. Um, and now there's a towel I, over the whiteboards in locker rooms. Yeah, yeah. It's of me. That's probably because of other people, actually. It was Dan Martinez, the second in, in command PR guy, pulled me aside and said, dude, you know, we could ban you for life for that. So just don't, don't, don't do that. <laughs> you know, they show mercy <laughs> was, on you. Of course, it was like Mark Jackson days, so the whiteboard just said defense or something. It didn't actually have any plays. But, you know, still, as the principal, the principal was being violated. Um, but, yeah, that's such a it's such a funny thing to negotiate this sort of competition. And some people really feel it. And some people really feel competitive. I yeah. never really felt it like that. But people might be feeling it with you. You know, I've had people I've had some. Man, I had a crazy blow up with somebody where they wanted to talk to Steph and they felt like I interrupted them. Um, and it was a situation where I had my own time pressure. I was the beat reporter. He had turned his ankle and ESPN.com was just breathing down my neck that we need to know, you know, is he like, when did he hurt his ankle? When did he hurt his ankle? So they're having a conversation and I just, you know, I go like, look, he, he might scoot out the door. Because as you know, if a player gets injured, they don't have to talk to the media. Right. So I just go, hey, really sorry. Just, you know, what quarter? And he goes, oh, you know, it happened in the, you know, it happened in the third quarter, yada, yada, yada. I go, great. Thank you. And then that person started yelling at me in front of him. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, you got to tell me who that was. After. You got you to text. I'll you tell you te after. Yeah. Okay. I'm good with that. <laughs> I'll, t I'll tell you after, and I'm good with that person. But 
You know, it's like uh, it's especially when it comes to the celebrity status of certain people involved, mm-hmm. it gets weirdly competitive in regards to that kind of proximity and that sort of like that energy. I, I don't miss that. I don't miss that. I don't miss those sorts of weird vibes in the locker room where it's kind of like a high school dance and people yes. are yes. waiting to walk up to somebody, but it's a weird high school dance. Cause you're also waiting for people to get dressed. And then, you know, there's just a, uh, the whole thing is uncomfortable unless your name is Marcus Thompson and you just somehow aren't phased by anything happening and you, you handle it all effortlessly. Yeah. Marcus just literally just walks, walks up to you at your locker, just sort of slides over Slide like the Collinsworth slide. He just does that. He just appears out of nowhere, yeah. like like uh, like one of those movie villains or horror villains or something like that. Except he does it with a smile. And, oh my god! And nobody he, ever tells him to beat it. Nobody ever no. tells Marcus to go away. Well, he just was. He's just one of the naturally funniest people I ever met. Where he is almost looking at the situation from a remove and not taking it seriously while being great at his job. And it just works. And he would do just crazy stuff. He would, you know, tell Ritter that he was about to break some embarrassing story about a player that he just made up. So Ritter's running around. He's like, ah, just kidding. Everybody loves him and nobody, nobody cares in the end. Um, And, you know, but that allowed me to see, I couldn't, I couldn't do what Marcus could do. But it did allow me to see that in a way, oftentimes rules are just people and you're acting like all these protocols are sacred, but there's a little bit more flex in them. And sometimes, you know, you can just do it and ask questions later. Yeah, usually and usually players kind of give you like the mental okay. Like you can kind of it's almost like a telekinetic and, you know, energy if a player wants to. Talk, like he'll look in your direction while he's even changing his clothes, and there's a bunch of you. And he makes eye contact, and you're like, yeah. "Oh, okay, that means it's okay to come up and just start shooting the shit or whatever." That that type of thing. Well, you probably had that happen where you were doing that, and then somebody horned, like some awkward person horned in on it. Well, I've done that, and I'll I've done that before, and it's either some awkward person or some vulture. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's okay for me to come up and interrupt this conversation. And because I'm not naturally believing, I think people think because of I'll go at people on Twitter if they say something stupid, they think I'm confrontational and I'm actually not. Like, I won't, I ain't running from confrontation, but I ain't trying to initiate, especially in a professional environment like that. You ain't trying to bark at anybody, but you do take notes on, oh, okay, this, this dude does not have like social cues. And I think that's yeah. honestly what it is. A lot of people are socially ill-equipped to handle yeah. being in that setting. And they don't know how to be themselves either. I mean, <laughs> it, it's like I knew when I was in that locker room, I knew Anthony that Mays, Anthony Mays is he Anthony. nailed it. He nailed it in the chat. <laughs> he nailed it. Um, it's like I knew that I came off as a white nerd, right? Like I, I understood that. And it was, if I didn't understand it, it was drummed into me because whenever the players were talking about some advanced stat, they would call out like, you know, and Ethan, like in, in advanced defense, like what, you know, what are we? And I never had the right answer. They never stopped asking. It just never, 
you know, but but it's like you don't want to be outside yourself right. and like it's like, oh, what album are you listening to? I like that album too. Like you don't want to do that kind of stuff. You just right. need to be yourself, do your work. And I felt like in that setting, some people like they didn't even know they didn't even know how to be themselves, if that makes sense. No, I think a lot of times people are still evolving as humans. And mm. one thing I've learned is that a lot of sports writers can be antisocial. Like I'm naturally yeah. introverted. Like I'm not someone that's going to come in and interrupt you while you're doing something. But in some ways you kind of have to make yourself known. So you kind of have to step outside yourself out of your natural yeah. element to survive, not just survive in this Ooh, industry, yeah. but to be noticed that. in this industry. I don't miss that. I don't miss that because it actually does feel like the high school dance walking across the floor sometimes, you know? And Yeah, don't don't step on the logo in the middle of the floor, you know what I mean? The middle of the carpet and, you know, while the guy has a towel on, like, you know, it, it went to another level when Adam Silver basically told us that we were watching dudes change, watching dudes in the locker room <laughs> naked. You know what I mean? Like, it went to another level of absurdity there, but uh, by and large, <laughs> well, by and large, like, I try to tell people, we're not trying to watch these dudes get dressed. No. Like, and if you're a beat writer and you have that familiarity with a player, you kind of know at the point where where it's okay while they're yeah. still doing it. If, yeah. and, and you kind of know if they don't want to be bothered either. You know what I mean? Like it's, like, it's that weird sort of energy that if you know, you know. But if you're a, if you're a parachuting in, baby, some, sometimes yeah. you, you are literally like praying that you can get a guy. You're praying that he's in a good mood. You know what I mean? Mm. Like even someone like like Kevin Durant, who I have really good interactions with, and then I'm like... Oh, me too. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Look, speaking of making up, have, have you two made it up? I mean, I would have him on the podcast if he wanted to come on the podcast. I mean, Ke Kevin's got that unique quality where, I mean, everybody likes him. Everybody who's ever had issues with him likes him. And I think I would put myself in that category, even if he completely tried to rip me and, you know, how good I was at my job on, on television and everything else. So, hey, I'm good with it. I just don't know. I don't know if he's good with it. So maybe you could, hey, maybe you could mediate that. Maybe we can, look, I'll be the referee and you two can pod <laughs> and I will say low blow. On one yeah, end, or yeah. I'll say unfair on yeah, the yeah. other end. And we can, I think we can get this, Ethan, I think we can get this going. I think it would be must-see TV. Oh, my God. No, it would be good. It, it, would, it would definitely be good. Um, I can't even remember what the issue was back in the day. And I, now I've gotten totally far afield, and I'm trying to remember what we were. Oh, it, it's a weird thing. The, uh, the management of when to walk up to somebody and the familiarity and you know that in a you know in a certain stage of undress you can you know approach somebody if you know them and if you know the rules but you're not going to do that if you don't know the guy you no, know no no you don't do that if you don't know the guy uh, even if you prearrange something and you've spoken to a guy while he's warming up or something like that hey you know, I came to town, blah, blah, blah. I'll catch you after the game. Yeah, all right, cool. They will forget because they just got finished doing a high-intensity, two-and-a-half-hour cardio, physical, yeah. emotional workout. The last thing that they're actually thinking about is your short ass. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah, just yeah. sometimes what it comes down to. Some, <clears throat> sometimes guys yeah, will remember. About us. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you someone who does remember. Draymond Green remembers. 
<laughs> Draymond Green remembers. Oh, no, he's a different level, man. Because he, like Draymond will also do the thing that I valued, even if I didn't get an exclusive from it. But he would ask me to ask him something so he could do the performance of whatever was on it. He was doing his podcast before he was doing his podcast. Ah. But no, he is somebody... He's somebody who was always very savvy, yes. you know, and I've had my friction with him at times, but you know, he was always, he, he was, you know, at least with him, he was cognizant of when it was good. Most guys or a lot of guys, they'll not even care about the good stuff. You said there'll be water through a sieve, but the first bad thing they're going to really care about. Now he, he would have intense reactions to things he perceived uh, that were bad, but he also was very much aware, especially in the early days of when somebody was noticing what he was doing out there. And, uh, you know, he could it, players. It's so weird to me. It's I, I feel like they're leaving a lot of money on the table. I feel like in what way? It's just we're so easy. You know, we're yes. such cheap whores, Vinny. You know, I get this call by like, name. Just call us by our name. Literally. That's it. Yeah. That, that, yeah. That's it. We go like, oh, he knows me. Oh, this is so good. Like everybody, whether they want to admit it or not, is a bit of a star fucker. You know, like you care when your phone blows up and it's a big name when you're around your friends versus when it's somebody who's not a big <laughs> name. Like mm -hmm. people have that in them. And that's a kind of power. And I don't think players understand that you could just get a lot of favorable coverage with very little effort, but so many players don't want to do it because they just, they, they hate us. <laughs> so well, they not, don't want to, yeah. not, no, I don't even know if they hate us as much as no, it not is. Us. We, they hate, they hate what we do. Like no, they don't hate us as people. I don't even think, think it's that. No, no, no. I think they've been told to hate mm. us. They've been told not to trust us. I think it's like a pack mentality where you've seen, I'm sure you've seen it where, a player won't talk to you in the locker room, but cut not because of other reporters, but because of other players around. Oh, definitely. And oh, then yeah. you get to a hallway, or it's a little lighter, and then they'll then they'll kick it with you. So I think it's more or yeah. less like a group, like a peer thing, more than it is. Yeah. Oh, they're trained to hate the media by some force upon high. I think it's players telling players don't mess with them don't talk to them and a lot of times those dudes are the biggest gossipers around oh yeah the ones oh, who definitely. tell you the ones that say that they don't like the media are the biggest gossipers oh yeah no it's a, that i've definitely seen that happen I'm trying to think of a few names right now as i think about it but i brought up jamal crawford and i felt like why can't anybody who's good and has a long career just be like him and it always seemed like, I, I don't know how hard it was for Jamal Crawford to know people's names and, you know, be polite and follow media members on Twitter, but he kept racking up six man of the year after six man of the year. And I felt like it, it, it couldn't have been that hard to do the PR aspect. And it's just so strange to me. It just seems like they would get because they do care about the coverage. So it's just so odd to me that they don't oftentimes do what would be required to, to get great coverage. And I know some people listening would go, well, you guys should be objective. What are you talking about? But come on, I'm just being real about it. This is a human. Act. He, the, 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 yeah. You sometimes you take a little bit off the fastball, even if, if yeah. you know, you've got to give them the fastball, you can take a little bit off. 
if there's familiarity. Mm-hmm. I also think largely that the shift in media where there are, shall we say, safe landing spots for mm. some guys where they can, they don't have to talk to the brick and mortar types. They don't have to talk to the national yeah. guys. They can talk to certain certain pillows, basically. Lay your, lay your head right here. <laughs> say whatever you say, whatever you need to say, you probably won't get challenged. Either you're going to tell a big truth or a big lie. You know what I mean? And that yeah. and that's pretty much how they view dealing with the media. I will be nice to this one media person who's never really here that I don't really have to deal with, who might not even actually be a journalist. Let's mm. let's keep that one in mind. Like, Ethan, you're not a quote unquote tradi- traditional journalist, but you're a journalist. You know what I mean? Like, you know what you're doing. There are some people who are just in the media game and we all get sort of lumped into this one pile of clay and it doesn't all apply to, you know what I mean? It doesn't all apply to us. And that's why I think sometimes players wind up going. I'm not saying any names. I'm I'm definitely not saying names there. I mean, I had some ideas of some names in my head, but, but update me. I mean, where is it going? I effectively left... You know, uh, over two years ago, um, how have things changed in the last couple of years in terms of those dynamics? I don't know if they've changed that much. I just think it's an evolution. It's like subtle shifts. You know what I mean? It's super mm-hmm. subtle shifts where I think you said it before, where once we were removed from the locker room, like there were people, prominent people who were actively trying to keep us out of the locker room. Yeah. And, and Adam some people, Silver, as you mentioned, talking about how we're we're trying to watch naked dudes or whatever he said. And Adam Silver, that. but Adam Silver's never been in the locker room, so Adam Silver had to yeah. get that from somewhere, right? Yeah, he got that from somewhere. <laughs> he didn't come up with that out of his, you know, out of his head. Yeah. Like someone told him that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, it's it's that element. And for me, I feel bad for. I feel. Put it like this, if 24-year-old Vinny, because that's effectively the age that I was, if 24-year-old Vinny was walking into a locker room today, green and just starting off, I think I would be lost. Mm. Because the elements to be able to get to know players, those things don't, like even casually, don't exist anymore. Like everybody has their guard up. And then everybody has been taught maybe by the agency or by their team or by whomever, oh, we're going to go here if we got something to say. Don't even yeah. don't even give a nugget or a kernel to a, a person that you have, to, you know what I'm saying, to deal with every day. Because A, it would be a peer like you're playing favorites. So as opposed to me playing favorites with one, I give none of you anything. You know what I mean? So no one can say yeah. I've mistreated one at the expense of the other. I've mistreated all of y'all. <laughs> you know what mm. I mean? That sort that sort of thing. So it's a it's a Ethan is so different. And I don't say good or bad. Like I'm not, this isn't two old yeah. men yelling at clouds here. We ain't Abe Simpson. No, we're but, we're reminiscing about clouds, you know, for the most part. There we as go. Old men. Yeah. There we go. We're not, but you're not old, Ethan. You're yeah, younger you than know. me. You're younger than me, some, right? I got some great. I don't know if I'm younger than you. I have no idea. But, you know, I've got. Uh, well, I'll keep forgetting I, black don't crack. So you probably have no clue how old I am. <laughs> well, I don't. Well, also, Bomani would make such a thing about how you were ageless, you know? So that's messed me up. So like now I don't know what to think, you know? 
I, I feel like this. I think we were in high school at the same time. That's what that's what I think of someone being in my age group. If we were in high school, are at the you same a millennial? Time, are you a millennial? I think maybe. What okay. year, what year does okay. millennial end? Oh, or begin? I don't know where. I mean, I think it begins in 1980. 1980 birth. Okay, so yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm, okay, okay. That's what I'm, I figure. That's it. You know, yeah, I, I ain't no seventies baby. I ain't born in the seventies. I'm in. The, I'm born in the mid eighties. <laughs> so I, I, I do. I, I think you're. I think you're. We're in the same. Like I'm younger than Marcus. Yeah. I'm younger than Chris yeah. Haynes. I'm younger than Bomani. Yeah, yeah, we're in the same range. I don't yeah, know. Why yeah. We're not just talking about how old we are. Uh, I'm. I'm 38 years old. So there you go. Like, now you know. It's like I'm, it's out I'm, there. I'm 38 for a couple more weeks. There we go. Okay, so it's exactly. This was fun for the listeners. Uh, Ethan and Vinny tiptoe around eventually just saying how old they are. This is good, efficient radio right here. Slash no, but it, I, you know what I want to hear? I want to hear at some point, because I know you can't do it today. Like Maybe it's just the Ethan Solo podcast. I want to hear mm-hmm. Radio Ethan again. Like, go off oh, on something. Oh, my God. Can, can, can uh, you summon today. that? Can, can you no, summon that Dragon Ball Z at some point in the future? <laughs> uh, maybe in the future. Oh, yeah, yeah. Maze is saying he's got the tapes. No, that one is... <laughs> that was tough. You know, the tough thing with doing that character is that people started to prefer that character and request that character. And I, I think I went on the Levitard show. Yes, yeah. I think yeah. I was in a... I was in a hotel in Cleveland... And the character was demanded out of me. And at that point, I was just, dude, I got to be in control of when I do this thing. I mean, I, I, I need to kill this character because I don't want to I don't want to be in the sort of dance monkey dance situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, as yeah. fun as it is in that setting. Um, but, you know, Amin had the suggestion, and I think he's probably right, because I was doing sports center hits around that time. Okay. Um, and he said, man, if you just start doing it on the sports center hits, you're going to be the biggest thing. You should just do that. And I never, I never did it because it would be weird to just start sort of but Ethan's, be like this I mean, but I mean, he's a madman. Like that would have been setting oh, yeah. you up for a whole bunch of failure there. I couldn't have handled whatever would have come with that. But I do think if I was the type of person who would have committed to doing that, because it was a character, you know, it was a character. They all sounded like that too. You you had a certain voice when you mm-hmm. were on ESPN. You had a certain voice. Oh, and by the way, that's forty yards after contact. Like that sort of like, why are you talking like this at me, dude? What's going on? Uh, <laughs> but that's how that's how they did it. That was the style, uh, and it almost felt like you should just let it rip and try it because it was around that era that I started to sense that. Whatever you were saying on there was not was not reaching anybody. You might as well be talking in a well. You're just kind right. of wallpaper for people when they're on that tram at the airport going by the sports bar. So um, maybe I should have maybe I should have done it. Uh, I don't know. But now I just now I just do it with pretty writing. I just let my id fly out here. So you know maybe there's it's, you know this is like it. the Incredible Hulk. You're Bruce Banner. I don't. It's uh-huh. like Bruce Banner says, "How do you keep him under control?" He says, "I'm always mad." Like I wonder if you're always Radio Ethan. You just sort of keep him under Ooh. wraps. No, that's like uh, the end of Primal Fear with Ed Norton and Richard Gere, where Richard Gere uh, wonders if Ed Norton. Um, you know, if there ever was this nice, do you, do you know what movie I'm talking about? Have you seen? I know what movie, movie you're talking about. I don't, I don't, if I've seen it, I've seen it once. 
So in the movie, Ed Norton kills a guy. I'm giving a very broad stroke summary of what happens. Yeah, yeah. And he blames it on this evil multiple personality he has. And the entire time, he's this nice sort of meat guy. And he convinces Richard Gere of this. And Richard Gere defends him as a lawyer. And then at the end, it's revealed, you know, Richard Gere wonders, like, wait a second, because Ed Norton finally gets real with him and, you know, sort of reveals that actually, you know, I killed him and, you know, it's, it was, uh, you know, I, I did it. Ha ha ha. And Gere goes, wait, wait a second. So like there never was this other evil personality that you had. And he goes, uh, no, there was never the, <laughs> there was never the nice guy <laughs> that I presented to you. You know, oh. uh, there never was a Roy for oh. people who, you know, might be looking for a random 1990s movie uh, to watch if it's even available. So, yeah, I think it might be that particular dynamic. Um, but I don't, you know, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's fun to reminisce about it. It's fun to look back on those days. It's because uh, those days ain't good. coming back. No, they're not. They're not coming back. That energy is gone. I can feel it at Chase Center the times I've been there where it's just whatever's happening in that building. It's not it's not what it was. It's you can't recreate it. No, not only can you not recreate it, <clears throat> you don't know when you're in the golden time when mm. you're in it. You have zero clue that, man, these are the good old days that I'm going to be talking about 20 years from now. That I'll be telling the young journalists, ah, you don't remember back in the day. Da, da, da. Mm. You know what I mean? Like that sort of thing. Because we had people telling us. We had the old heads in our lives, in our careers, telling us how the good old days were, where they could run into a player at the bar or something like that and, and get an interview that way. Now, if we see a player at a bar or something, they are doing everything they can to mm -hmm. avoid us. And I'm doing everything I can if I see a player out. And I've said, I've said this before. I've walked up to a player. And I've said, depending on proximity, like relationship, yeah. I said, dude, do not do anything tonight that makes me have to be anything more than a citizen. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, don't don't turn me into a journalist tonight, man. I'm just trying to chill, kick it, have a drink or whatever it is. If, if we cross paths again, all right, cool. But you know what I mean? That mm. sort of thing. But yeah, those were the good old days for them. We didn't realize we were in our golden era we were in our magic and bird oh. era you know what i mean Miss people around us were saying it used to be so much more familiar back in my day mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. like it used to be and it's just gotten progressively more at a remove and more at a remove and more more corporate and more managed by the agencies and maybe we can talk about that i don't know um you know, but for me, unlike you, though, I did know I was in the golden era because everybody was reminding me of it all the time because it was the Warriors golden era. Yes, yeah, true. I mean, yeah, everybody yeah. was going like, oh, my God, this is the craziest thing. You're so lucky. I remember Nick Friedle when they played the Bulls. Yes, doing that laugh. That was the night. Of course, you were there because you were covering the Bulls at that point. That's when you started talking to me about the Kevin Durant stuff. But no, he's just shaking his head and looking at me with disgust that I I get to just experience this when he's having to follow around the bulls. And uh, yeah, it was a particular time and place. Hey, here's something. How do you feel about being the guy to coin death lineup, which became so associated with the Warriors and yet 
not so associated with you. It's not like, you know, everybody talks about the time you coined it. People kept trying to give it to me, by the way. They kept trying to tell me that I did it. It was like, I didn't I didn't do that. You know what was funny? It took a while for me to remember that I did it. Oh, yeah? No, I, <laughs> I remember talking about it and saying it to you guys on press rows, like a November game. And they were like, oh, here comes the lineup. Here comes a small ball line. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, this. I remember saying this out loud. I'm like, this lineup kills you. It was like a lineup of death. It's a death lineup. You say it and you forget about it as quick as you say it. You know what I mean? Like, it's just something. And it happened. Like, they won a 22-0 to zero run or some shit like that, and the game is over in the second quarter. And I remember the, the thing being, the term being used, and it wasn't until on Twitter that you said, it was like, no, or it was either you or Nate Duncan was like, no, that was, yeah. that's not me. That was Vin that said that. And I was like, oh, yeah. shit, I did say that. That was me. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> And Bomani had said had sent like something like a patent link or something like that. But by that point, you know what I mean? By that point, it's yeah. already in full bloom. But yeah, it's that's the beauty of of like, I guess that's the beauty of it is that this term exists and it lives on. And pe- my, my well, younger what? brother that didn't even know it was me until you said it, that it was me. And my younger brother's a media person and didn't realize his older brother said it. I mean, but that. OK, so this is just. I'm endlessly fascinated by this kind of thing of what do you think that is? Because usually if you coin a term, you would think that you really hit your head against the wall trying to come up with your, your Don Draper and Mad Men. You're trying to come up with the perfect way, the perfect thing. And you just kind of effortlessly, you know, it's just kind of first thing that popped into your head. I just find it so interesting that that's the thing that stuck. You know, like Splash Brothers was similar, but I think the guy who came up with that, Brian Witt, maybe put thought to it. But there's something interesting about just throwing it out there, and that's the thing that's sticky, and that's the thing that's viral. I think for me, well, you asked me why didn't it stick to me. I think because I wasn't the beat writer for the Warriors. I think Mm. if I was the guy, then I'm writing every day. You're writing the the death lineup book. You're writing death lineup. Right. And you become there. There's like a super association with it, but because I damn near flew in and flew out, and was like everybody else, just watching them every day, watching them from afar every day. I'm like, man, this 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 shit kills you. That type of thing. It didn't really. It doesn't to this day. It doesn't like doesn't bother oh, me. Man. I don't sit with it. My you know book what I mean? should have been titled "Death Lineup." It should have been titled <laughs> "The Death Lineup." Had that but double the, meaning. But the yeah, that's the thing. The double meaning. But the thing that that I I find funny is that everybody was trying to coin nicknames after that. You know mm. what I mean? It was like like death lineup stuck. And I remember Jeff Van Gundy, I think during a broadcast, being like sick of the phrase death lineup. And I was like, <laughs> dude, this phrase just started like five months ago. Like, what are you what are you like yeah. like sick of it for? But everybody, I felt not everybody, but I saw a few guys trying to create their own moniker. And I was like, yeah, if you got to try to do it, it's probably not. Yeah. You know what I mean? That I, I felt flattered by it, but I was like, dude, just let that live because I'm not like claiming ownership of it. Like it's in the air. Like anybody can say it. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing. It's it's hard to economically appropriate uh, the phrase death lineup. Um, and it's not like Splash Brothers became so merchant. I mean, Brian Witt was working for the Warriors. So that's the yeah. particular particular kind of situation um I don't, but, and i've never told those guys that i've never told steph or draymond that i create the term death lineup 
Oh, why, see, why did you tell them that? I feel like that's a good conversation piece right I there. I should have. That's I a, should have. Maybe next time I see him, I'll say, I, but they probably wouldn't believe me. They'll probably think I'm full of shit. You think so? You think they wouldn't believe? I mean, somebody had to come up with it. I mean, I would like to know who they thought came up well, with it. Well, me and Steph <laughs> have this interesting byplay because me and Bomani were on a podcast and we said Steph was a system player. Or we, we said something along those lines. And Steph mm. heard system player. Or Andre Iguodala said system player. Or, or point it to the podcast or link to it. So then Steph, in all of his infinite pettiness, sees me like two years later in Cleveland. Oh I'm, I'm talking to I'm a national guy at this point. I'm talking to him, and he literally taps me on the leg and says, not bad for a system player. And I literally oh had this and walks what? away. And I said, A, get back here because I'm not finished asking you questions. And B, that's not what I said. (laughs) (laughs) It was Bomani. It wasn't me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was Bo, not me. No, but we were both. It was was poorly articulated on our part. But Steph, being the petty king that he is, heard what he wanted to hear. Yeah, man. That's... uh... It is interesting how much they hear and how they also usually don't want you... The thing they love... They love telling you too most of the time is that they weren't looking for it. Someone sent it to me. That's what they mm-hmm. say. Someone yeah, sent it yep, to me. I was like, yep. yeah, right. You were you were searching. You were searching <laughs> your name. You were reading. That's one thing about KD. I appreciated. He never said anything like that. He never said anything like someone sent it to me. It was just hey, he reads about himself and he makes no apologies. You know, that's Would, just that, wouldn't you read about yourself? Does. I mean, I don't read about myself, uh, and I, I, and I don't get written about it on nearly the scale that these guys do. So I don't think I would. Um, I mean, I feel very uncomfortable. I, I especially if it's critical. I yeah. don't. Maybe this is a weakness of mine, um, and it's not something I'm bragging about at all. But if somebody has written something critical about me, um, I generally want somebody else to just give me the gist of it. I feel weird sitting down and reading it it's almost like uh it it almost sounds superstitious like you're playing Mm -hmm. bloody mary like i'm afraid if i read it about myself that i'm gonna absorb it i'm gonna believe it about myself that sort of that sort of thing and so i did this is so sick but i used to when i needed like a little bit of juice or a little bit of charge let's say you know i'm trying to write something i'm exhausted it's 1 30 a.m I would sometimes search my name because when you search your name, you can find people saying bad stuff about you like a little bit easier than, um, you know, if it's just the, the ats or whatever. And I would get like a little bit of like dopamine hit and a little bit of charge because you get that fight or flight. Yeah. Yeah. And then after a while, I just decided, I don't think this juice is worth the squeeze. I don't think this is, I don't think this is good for me right here, but I remember you would, you you do less of it now, but you would fight it out with people on Twitter. I think I would tell you not to do that, but you would do that. Well, <clears throat> I haven't done it in a long time, but people would at me. You know what I mean? Like, I remember once, and this was really, really bad. Not on my part, but on a person's part. Someone said to me, man, I wish George Zimmerman had found you instead of Trayvon. And I was like, nice. over basketball? Like, we're talking about basketball here, and you go there. You know what I mean? What like you said I, about Andre Drummond <laughs> precipitated this. <laughs> like, I didn't, I didn't get it. And I was always... Andre's rebounding is taking a hit of late. 
I wish I wish death upon you. You know what I mean? Like what? So, but I my thing was a Detroit is like the cap capital of the world where if someone says something about you, you better be quick witted and fight back or whatever. And I'm naturally witty. So someone says something crazy. Like I did the there was one time during the playoffs in Chicago, and this was hilarious, Ethan. They were playing the Bulls. The Bulls were playing, I'm sorry, the Bulls were playing the Cavs. And Matthew Dellavedova did something really dirty, right? And he might have, like, locked the player's legs or something like that. I can't remember what it was. And I called him Dirty Deli. And people knew I wasn't a Bulls fan. I'm like, dude, this dude is just dirty. Like, I don't care how you how you phrase it, right? <laughs> Sound so like then, Donald Trump on the, on the <laughs> stop Dirty Deli. I dirty deli. So, <laughs> so, so, so some fan says, worry about your hairline more than worrying oh. about dirty deli. And I'm 30 at this point. The hairline is game tight, right? I'm like, oh, yeah, like yeah. so I said to him in reply, your mother told me how nice my hairline was when she took me to Red Lobster. A playoff of the Beyonce song at the time of her saying, mm. if he does me good, I'm going to yeah, take him yeah, to Red yeah. Lobster. So I gave him some insinuations there. I immediately got texts from people at the league and PR oh. from the teams telling Ooh. me how funny it was, but also telling me, you can't Don't do, do that. <laughs> like, you can't do that. Like, that's not, <laughs> you, you shouldn't do that. What? Well, that's the the tricky thing is when somebody comes at you, you just feel like a person. You want to respond in kind, but you're not always aware of how you're viewed and what your station is and how you don't feel like a bully, but you might be perceived as a bully because, you know, it's almost like it. it's weird. It, it sounds like you're you almost don't want to admit that the that you have the status that you have sometimes, but it is an elevated in that environment status. And it, and it looks bad. It's one of the reasons why, you know, I've got customers and I respect my customers, but I feel weird. If somebody's critical about my article, I, I feel weird if, if they're rude, like really going at them because it's almost, this is kind of weird. Like there's a yeah, weird energy yeah. to it. It's better if you guys are going back and forth, but this is like, it's my site. And, you know, if I'm, you know, trying to be witty or like cut you down, it doesn't just look like I'm I'm having fun or coming back at you. It looks like something else. And so it's just something something to be wary of. Yeah, I didn't realize that people took that stuff so seriously because usually someone says something. I see it. I look at it in my mentions. I reply back and I go about my day. If a a Twitter fire starts because I reply to someone. I have zero clue that is actually going on because I'm not paying that much attention. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Then I had to realize, okay, people see this. I wind up in like group chats. Like people will be like, did y'all see what Vinny just said? And I'm mm -hmm. like, dude, this is not the lunch table. You know what I mean? This is, this yeah. is social media. is not real. That person's a bot. That person has, they said, Vinny, that person has three followers. Why reply? I'm like, so if he had a that thousand followers. That person's correct. No, no. Here's why. Here's why you do reply. If you're going to reply, you reply. Here's why. Because the person with three followers just has the bravery to say what the person with 10,000 followers won't. So I'm not just cutting you down. I'm cutting down the person who wants to say something, but those, mm. but doesn't have the kind of theoretical. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I'm not doing it for him, for one person. I'm doing it for the masses. 
Well, this is part of my um, course I teach on how to uh, get away with things as a famous scumbag is that, you know, if you're in a scandal and one of your peers in your industry starts attacking you, you need to attack and humiliate them just to send a signal to everybody else that, hey, don't, don't, you know, don't join in on stabbing Caesar. You know, there's a cost to it. It's not cost free. So I think there's something, there's something to that. Um, I don't know where we're at in the whole state of the media and, and all of that. I'm glad that, you know, Adam Silver has let you guys back in the locker room. I think that's a, I think that's cool. Um, how do you feel about the role of agencies? I, I mm. feel like they're more prominent Absolutely. Um, in, you know, this thing of ours. Uh, how do you feel about that? I mean, I know some people think it's a bad thing. I don't. I just think it's another layer that you have to be aware of. Like, I think it shows the power that the media has. Mm. Like, agencies wouldn't be trying to control the media if they didn't think that our words mm. had a lot of power. So you leverage the possibility. You know what I mean? Like yeah. almost in a way of like a romantic thing, like romance is like about the anticipation of whatever could happen. Right. So you just live in the gray area and you maneuver, you negotiate the gray area similar to media and what the power of your words could be. You negotiate that gray area. You may not even have anything that you're going to say, but if they mm -hmm. think you're going to say something, you you can, you know, not not manipulate it, but you you leverage it a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. You leverage it in those conversations. I think sometimes too much involvement of anything starts looking like PR, starts looking, you know what I mean? Like there are some people, yeah. there's, you know what, if, if, if certain things come from certain places, you're like, all right, I know where this is at. I know who, I know where yeah. it's from. I know it's a certain slant to it. And you hope that you can read it and still take some credibility out of it. You know what I mean? And you try not to work in that that weird horse trading thing where, you know, quid pro quo type of thing. You know what I mean? Where yeah. since since you're helping me out on this one, now now, you know, I'm in your pocket. No, I'm not. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. try to you try to keep those lines very clear, but it's getting harder and harder because of not things that you do, but because of things the industry people in the industry are doing. Well, yes. And to what you're saying, this is one of the things I do not miss. It's why even if I miss aspects of it, I miss some of the camaraderie of it. Yeah. I miss seeing my friends. Yeah. I think the vibe in a media room is one of the best industry vibes. I once went to uh, the teacher's lounge that my wife had, and it was terrible. And I just thought, oh, my God, it's so much better to be in a media room. And we yeah. don't even know how good we have it. But this part of it, you know, it's this behind-the-scenes stuff where – you don't just put out something interesting and that's it. You know, I remember Sam Amick, he had this big story. Um, you know, it got tons of subscriptions, which at the athletic is a big deal, obviously mm -hmm. type of situation where he probably could have just rested and coasted for the rest of the year because he had just stacked so much off of it. And I was going, Oh my God, Sam, that's amazing. It's incredible. When I saw him, um, at the arena and he just looked miserable because if you say anything interesting, it's usually interesting because it's getting kept under wraps, right? right. You know, somebody wanted to stand between interesting and the world. And so the consequence of saying the interesting thing is agents yelling at you, 
team yelling at you, all these people who have a vested interest in the portrayal. And I think that part of that part of the industry takes a lot of the joy out of people and also makes them hear footsteps and uh, makes them pursue things less aggressively. It's a weird thing. It's like it it doesn't end when you press in. It begins. Yeah. You know what I mean? It literally begins when you press in and you figure out how quickly people who you don't think that know you will find out a way to get in contact with you. You know what I mean? Yes. Like you would write something and there can be a throwaway line, literally a throwaway. There was a throwaway line of something I wrote last year about a particular player. Like, oh, he's not getting on the floor much because coach can't trust him with defense. About, I'm in the shower, The like two hours later. You know what I mean? Like the story came out at 10. I'm in the shower at noon or something like that. And I get a text from a number I don't recognize. And I'm looking up and I'm like, oh, this is hi, this is such and such. And I'm like, okay, let me figure out why I should know that name. You Google the name and you figure out, oh, player X's agent. Pissed yes. about a throwaway line and something that had nothing mm. to do with him. You're like, okay, so you went through all the trouble of looking at my phone number, figuring out who I am, and then reaching out to me. You know, like that sort of thing. Like yeah. that's how important it is. And if you write something, won't say salacious, if you write something that doesn't put people in the greatest of light, PR, team PR will look, will come at you, even yeah. if they know that what you're writing is right, because they feel pressure from above high, not pressure from the agencies, but pressure from their own building. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, luckily, I would think that Raymond Ritter isn't that type where, you know. Oh, Ray <clears throat> Raymond's a different type. Like, Raymond, I mean... I, I say it with respect. I respect just all the different tricks of the trade that Raymond Ritter does. The mo the biggest thing I respect about Raymond is just work ethic and being a maniac about your job. And that is something that you cannot take away. But he would, you know, he would play some dirty pool. He would do things, you know, to what you were saying that, oh, okay, well, when they're coming at you, it is they're reacting to pressure within their building. Raymond would almost go the other way where he's protecting the shield of the warriors and he's deceiving you about how much the player even cares about what he's coming at you with. And I mean, I mean, but this is why he's the greatest. This is why he's on a different level. I remember, I remember when Andre, when we were in Brooklyn and somebody she was from another country she asked what do you do to even stop the warriors because they're on top of the world and andre just likes to fuck around so he says look you just have to kill us you know there's nothing you can do you got to go to the shooting range you got to practice you got to get guns and you've just got to shoot us dead and kill us that's really the only there's not nothing else you can do is he's just fucking he's just fucking around. He's just having yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But of course, I mean, I don't know what shooting had just happened. The, there was a shooting that had recently happened. People were being overly sensitive, like when I did the assassination reference and you, you know, it it <laughs> you brought up that we had to worry about it. I don't know. And he's being provocative intentionally. And so I have to write it up. You know, it's a news story. Like, right, what am I gonna right, do? Right. I, I don't care, but right. what am I gonna do? And Raymond was presenting it to me like Andre was really mad at me. And I mean, I know Andre a little bit. So, 
I, I, I come see him, you know, after a shoot around and it's just so clear that Andre does not care. <laughs> He's never cared. He's the only guy I ever covered who legitimately did not care. And I, it was also funny too, because people reacted off that and they were going, Oh my God, Andre needs to be smarter. He needs to be smarter. And it's this thing people often do where they almost project like what they think their incentive structure is or somebody else's incentive structure on the right. person they're talking about. Because I would look at it and go, is Andre going to lose minutes? No. Is Andre the uh, the face of Nike or something? No. Does this change anything in his life at all? Not not really. It actually changes absolutely. He's no ad campaign. Changes nothing. This is why he does not care at all about the management of his reputation with regards to this. Right. But right, Raymond right. Ritter, as the Warriors PR guy, uh, looked at it as this is one of our players talking about shootings. I need to put pressure on the media to shut the fuck up about this. And if that you know entails me bluffing a little bit and saying the player is mad about it, mm. then so be it. But that's just, you know, Raymond was always just, he's got to do what he's got to do. It's a do. game of leverage. Yeah. Right? He used perceived leverage. He used the gray area. I except, mean, except without knowing that you could make it black or white because of your relationship with said player. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good bet. You know, I, I think if we were watching a game of poker, like it would probably be a pretty good you know, pretty good hand to go in on that I wasn't yeah. going to find out. And then, and, and then, you know what? And then I did. And of what value is it? Of what importance? Like not by like, oh, Raymond pulled a fast one on me. What am I going to do? Not talk to Raymond? No, we're going to go back the next day and do the same sheepdog and coyote thing we're always doing. Good morning, um, <laughs> Sam. Good morning, Sam. <laughs> but you know what's the crazy? You know what's the crazy thing? Is you would almost figure things out from the way Raymond would react. Because I remember... I knew Mark Jackson was fired when I wrote something about him and I didn't get a call. And I was like, oh, okay. No, it's done. Like, it's over. Because he felt like he was in the position of having to defend Mark because that was part of protecting the shield. Right, right, right. And he, I think, must have gotten word that it's done. And so at that point, you know, wash your hands of it. It's over. You know, there's going to be a new guy a new uh, new king to serve. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. A lot of times, what I've learned with PR people, and not in a bad way, your questions are, their reaction to your questions is reflective of the franchise's relationship with said person. Mm. If you ask a tough question that some people could perceive as borderline, right? If the PR person doesn't Hey, did you have to ask that? Da, 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 da. And then sometimes you'll get the, that was a good question. That was a real, mm. I was really curious what he was going to say there. And you're yes. like, oh, reflective. Because remember, they know everything. They know player relationship with coach, coach relationship with front office, front, you know, coach relationship with their own contract. You know what I mean? So a lot of times a PR person wouldn't wouldn't jump on you. Like you said, wouldn't you wouldn't get a call. You didn't get a you didn't get anything. You just kind of got a you get like a nod or something like that, like a quiet nod. Like, yeah. oh. Y'all have the, y'all want them to be publicly accountable the same way that yes. we do. You're not and because PR a lot of times, 
Ethan, now it's public prevention, not public relations. So when public mm. relations act, so when the relationship thing comes out, you're like, oh, so this is how y'all really feel. Cool. It's those moments are crazy too, because they've been lying to you in a way and putting up a facade and sometimes getting away with it. And you go, oh my God, the scales have fallen from my eyes. I remember Haberstroh would talk about that, that when LeBron James left the Heat, he discovered all sorts of fissures that he just didn't even know. He didn't even know were there because that's such a tight-lipped organization. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's 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 so interesting how they manage everything in regards to us. I mean, it, it's crazy to me how they almost all seem to know, and I don't know if they ever have a conversation about it, but they have these different tiers of information. There's the stuff that everybody is allowed to know. Then there's the stuff that we're allowed to know, but they don't want us telling everybody. Right. And then there's the stuff where if we know it, shit has broken containment. Somebody needs to get fired. Something's gone wrong. And they all seem to understand the different tiers in a way that almost is intuitive from what I can see. That's why I think it's imperative for reporters or young beat writers, or beat writers, period, at some point to cover a bad team. You learn Mm. so much more from covering a bad team than you do covering a good team. And covering a bad team that does not realize that they're bad. Mm. Like, you come in thinking, oh, we're a playoff team. And they're like, instead of being fifth in the conference, you're like third from the bottom. And and the reporter is the first one to figure out that this team sucks. Somebody's some it it then it becomes come sit on the couch, come talk to <laughs> you know what I mean like like when when the team knows it's bad there's a, a resignation there there's there's no disappointment because there's no expectations but when a team is bad that does not expect to be bad you get compelling stuff from mm. every corner of an organization because a is somebody to blame and b these people are as dumbfounded that you know something that they don't you know that the team sucks and they don't. Mm. Well, you told me once that the players become friends on bad teams, which I thought was very intriguing because, I mean, I saw it the other way. I remember the Warriors were bad, but I wasn't a beat writer for them. But good team, it's just everybody's just gathering what up whatever spoils could be had. But you told me that there's um, there's almost this bonding that happens over the Trauma bad situation. Bonding. Trauma bonding. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're, look, they're in the locker room. And they're asking you, what happened? Y'all yeah. lost about 20. That's what happened. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no, no, no. Yeah. No, what happened? Is the is it the coach? Is it us? Is it me? Like, they want to know the answers because they're in it. So they're actually mm-hmm. asking you. And if you approach it right, especially you can you talk about being on the road. It's a lonely existence. So imagine they're traveling down the road. It's a Damn, they're lonely yeah. for them too in a, in a lot of different ways. Like they have different things oh. to master loneliness, but they are, you're lonely and you're losing and you don't know why that's, you're losing. So you got to figure the, out why. That's the craziest thing too when I was a beat writer was the way they would regard you and deal with you on the road versus at home. At home, it's just, it's annoying that you're even there or just like, hey, on the road, suddenly somebody you have a dynamic with that might not even be a great dynamic seems so happy to see you just because you're a, you're you're something familiar. Mm-hmm. And 
it's just a totally different. It's a totally we're in this context. together thing, even if we're not in this together. Yeah, we you're are in the real in NBA space. When you're on the road, like you are in the NBA. Like that's you are you are on the carousel. You know yes. that I have now, and they respect you. I've they respect left. you more because they know we're in the same shitty place. We're in Memphis. We're in Memphis, Tennessee on a Tuesday night in January. Can yeah. you believe this yeah. shit? Not, not and fun this team barbecue. <laughs> not, not fun barbecue in May, Memphis. You know, January, no. Memphis. Exactly. <laughs> not so, live music outside Memphis. You know, trauma bonding. No, I really think it's trauma bonding on a bad team. And on a good team, I'm sure the dynamic is great too. But I learned so much in Detroit and Chicago when, though, when that Jimmy Butler. Dwayne Wade, Rajon Rondo team. That was the most mm. fun team I've ever covered because you didn't know what was going to happen every day. You had yeah. no clue if if Bobby Portis was going to punch Nikola Mirotic, which happened <laughs> the next year. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you never know what was going to happen. And they were just like, yo, this... Like, every... I would tell you this. When Dwayne Wade signed with the Bulls, he had this big press conference... And Gabrielle Union at the time walked up to me and said, I'm going to be paying attention to everything you write. It actually scared the death out of me, right? <laughs> it did. I promise you it did. And I said to Dwayne, you think you're coming to like a world-class sort of operation. Mm. You're going to see how bad this is going to get. And then after a while, he was like, you tried to warn me. You told me. <laughs> Trauma bonding. That's what happens. <laughs> oh, my God. Nah, you're making me miss it. You're making me miss it just a little bit. I haven't come back, I, you know, in a while. I think I'm two, 2021, I, I went to a Bucks game, uh, you know. Go to a but, Warriors road. Go to, a war, go to like two Warriors road games. Just do two maybe. of them. Just do two maybe. of them. Name droppy, but but Kerr Kerr told me I should come to a practice, and I didn't. This is last season. I didn't. I didn't show up. I was just you know lazy. I don't know. And I just figured, well, he's a famous person. He makes these overtures. You know, like I, I didn't expect him to remember it. And then when I ran into him, he seemed offended. <laughs> he seemed <laughs> Steve <laughs> well, Kerr, not Ned Flanders. He, yeah, like people he's, think he's, that he's net. He is not. He is a maniac. No, no, no. He's got an edge. No, he definitely does. But I no, I was flattered that he seemed. I was flattered he even really remembered. Right. Um, the invitation. But I, but I think it's also probably weird. I, I think it's weird to them when when you don't need them too. I think that's that's strange. It's like, wait a second, weren't you this barnacle on my hole? I don't understand this. <laughs> they, <laughs> they get they they get familiar with the even perceived conflict, like. It, like mm. you said, Wiley Coyote. If Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner saw each other in the streets, and Wiley Coyote did not have a fork and a knife in his hand, the Roadrunner yeah. would be looking at him like, "Hey, dude, <laughs> this is not our dynamic. I'm supposed yeah. to drop like a boulder on you, and you're supposed <laughs> to be trying to eat me." <laughs> the word, the universe has been disrupted. You know, it's uh, something is out of place, dude. Well, I could do this. We could do this all day. But my this voice is, fun, is given man. out. This is fun. We this is fun. We should we should have done this earlier. Uh, as I always ask my guests, what do you have to plug for us other than your uh, two fantastic recent home and home podcasts with Bomani Jones? And well, Bomani is the easiest person to podcast with for one. Like he's like yeah. literally the best at this. Um, I have a podcast, The Good Word with Goodwill. It's on uh, Yahoo Sports Bar Online Network, and that's pretty much it. Like I'm not good at the plugging stuff. Nobody is. 
Nobody is. It's, but this uh, is this is. I'm glad to be your black friend. Although you have more black friends, but I'm glad to be I mean, your, your one of your black. <laughs> yeah, friends. yeah. Get, get in line, Vinny. There's, there's a lot. There's a lot of applications these days. Now, female friend on this podcast, that might be a little bit more of a competitive category. As you can tell, once again, there is no HR here at House of Strauss LLC. Uh, thanks so much. We'll have to have you back. Uh, of and you know, I'll, and once I'll, I get I'll approval have, to have you on my podcast. Oh, well, that might be, we'll see. That might be, <laughs> hey, it's not ESPN. It might actually happen. So That's true, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see you down the road, man. Take care. Thank you, man.